Thank you for this. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so this is such an awkward format and I'm eager to join in the awkwardness with all of you. Um, to make things just a little more awkward, I want to take a minute to kind of think about the privilege that is embedded in our ability to gather in this way this evening. Um, I am in a safe place. Everything I need is within arm's length. Um, no one I know, um, because of um, the coronavirus, um, I have food, I have shelter, I have water, I have adequate income. Um, I have access to the internet, I have um, this laptop, I have all of these things that make it possible to facilitate our conversation. conversation and um, I am so grateful to, for that, and yet I also understand that that's a tremendous amount of privilege. So I just, I want us to, to just take a moment to recognize that tremendous privilege. Um, thank you, Open Table, for this opportunity. I value your work, and I'm so honored to be asked to be here. Um, that being said, we can cue the first slide. Um, when Maddie approached me with this topic, Sacred Earth Healing the Land, can you all see the slide? It's coming on in one second. Yeah. So we'll be sharing the screen here in one second for everyone. Oh, while we're waiting for that, um, oh, never mind. Okay. Give me one second. I want to see all your faces as we're talking, if that's possible, or as many of your faces as I can. Um, so the topic, Sacred Earth, Healing the Land. Um, when Maddie approached me with this, um, Nick, do you mind if I just go like that when I'm ready for the next one? Okay, so when she approached me with that, I was thinking about these, uh, these ideas, um, spirituality, justice, and earth care. And I was thinking about the relationship between all of them, which sometimes makes me feel like this, um, it's a lot to take on. Um, so we're going to take it on in three movements. Um, and we're to launch us into those, into the first movement, we're going to do something interactive. Um, I'm going to give you the instructions and then I'm going to leave the instructions on the screen or Nick will leave the instructions on the screen and you will go into a chat room with somebody and uh, you'll ask this person the following questions. So um, first question you'll ask is, what are the sights, sounds, sensations, smells, and tastes of home? And then, um, so I understand that home is not necessarily um, a warm and fuzzy place for you. Uh, sorry, I did a hand motion and you thought I meant moving on, right? <laughs> I'll try to watch that. Um, so. I know it's not a warm and fuzzy place for everyone. So I want you to consider what is your highest and deepest hope for home. And then as you talk about the sights and the sounds and the smells, also think about what feelings and experiences do you associate with home? Remember, it doesn't have to be like your physical home, but your highest hope for home. So you're gonna go into a chat room with somebody, preferably someone you don't know, and on a piece of paper, please take notes on, um, on what they say, and they'll take notes on what you say. And um, as you can see, you'll have five minutes to do this, so about two and a half minutes a piece um, as you talk about these two things. And then at the end, I have get your partner's name and mailing address, and I'll explain why um, towards the end of our time together. Um, can I have a thumbs up on if all that makes sense? Okay. Um, I don't know where I go when you all go in chat rooms, um, but I'm going to pretend that there's a table with cookies in the back, and I'm going to go eat some cookies while you're all chatting. So I'll see you all in about five minutes. Would anybody be willing to share their um, experiences of home and their sensations that they associate with home? 
Hi, everybody. This is Micah. Hi, Micah. I was telling Amy uh, Malik, handsome Malik, that uh, I feel like my home is, my apartment is like my sanctuary, but that's slowly becoming my tomb, you know? It's just uh, a place of sacredness that I love being able to come to when I need to kind of de-stress from the day's work and hospitality here at Truthbrook, but also, oh man, I usually am the kind of person that has people in my home and likes to fill the space. And, you know, I have my dog and we love to hang out and cuddle and play and do stuff, but it's, um, it's hard to associate home without it being full of people, you know, when I have that time and space to have people. And so in some ways that, yeah, but otherwise I, yeah, just the thought, the exercise was like, oh, I really do love my space. I love I like my home, you know, thanks. Would someone else like to share? Um, Terry and I, uh, we've never met, I don't think. Um, but I was really grateful that he spoke first because um, I think it's really interesting. Neither one of us really has a place as much as people um, that make someplace home. Um, and, you know, it was, it was very brief, so we didn't get to, to go into it any further, but I really appreciated him speaking first because when I first thought about it, it just made me feel sad and more alienated. But once he spoke about um, feeling at home when he's connecting to other people, I thought, yes, that's home. So that was terrific. Thanks, Terry. So my partner was um, Queen Wilkes and um, we shared a lot of the same similar things only at different ages and we talked about how past memories carry on with you no matter where you live and, and we um, shared about our own families and how our within our family groups we had traveled and that our homes always had um, a lot of people laughing and um, that coffee was a strong element in all of those homes. And we had similar experiences of having two sets of homes. There was your mother's home and the father's home as we were growing up and, and uh, that, that was a, a good share. Thank you all for sharing. You may be asking yourself, what does home have to do with healing the land? And um, what you've just reflected on and shared is the sacred. Your deepest and highest experience of home is sacred because it is where you experience safety, love, grace, inspiration, sustenance, community, affirmation, connection. So, what, so that's incredibly pertinent to our conversation tonight about our sacred earth, our sacred home. So we're going to break down the concepts of spirituality, justice, and earth care into three movements. And we're going to start with spirituality. The three movements, spirituality, justice, and earth care, will come together to sort of form our relationship with our sacred home. So the first movement is to seek the sacred. As spiritual beings, our prime directive is to seek the sacred. If we believe that everything is the handiwork of the divine, then it is all sacred. The sacred is everywhere and everything. The what and where that equal home are sacred. So as we consider spirituality, justice, and earth care, we'll ponder the first movement, seek the sacred, with the definition of the what and where that equal home are sacred. Please keep that in mind in the next few slides. The what and where that equal home are sacred. This is a picture of a mountaintop removal um, taken in the Appalachian Mountains. Um, this is a home to 
people and other living beings. It is or was an intact biome. Um, and I want us to look at that and consider that as home. I'm sure many of you may be familiar with this slide. This is uh, a tar sands extraction site from, the, I never say this word right, the arboreal forest in Alberta, Canada, that was raised, destroyed in order to get to the bituum, the dirtiest type of petroleum or petroleum su substance um, to create, uh, I mean, that's a tar sands extraction site. Again, this is a place that was home for people and other beings. As spiritual beings, we are charged with seeking the sacred. This is a picture of um, a palm oil plantation um, in, the Malaysian, in Malaysia. As you know, palm oil is, uh, well, it's ubiquitously used in a lot of foods and body products. This is home to people, to cultures, to other living species. The what and where that equal home are sacred. Um, this is a cobalt mining extraction site in the Congo. Cobalt has been used to create um, electric vehicles. Uh, they're trying to move away from cobalt. Um, I find this picture particularly painful because I was so excited when I bought my EV that I was doing something good for the planet. This is um, a slide of um, e-waste. As you know, much of our e-waste is sent overseas for recycling. Um, so this is a recycling, this is a river by recycling facility. Um, and this is why I had us pause in the middle and the beginning to think about the tremendous privilege we have to have the tools and resources we have to be having this conversation. The what and where that equal home are sacred. This is a sand mine pit. Sand is mined to extract the silica from it. Um, silica is used in a lot of things. Um, one of the things that it is, has been used for are solar panels. So when we seek the sacred, that forms the framework for our spirituality. Oh, this um, is a lithium mine um, in South America. Lithium, as you know, is the lithium that's used in the lithium ion batteries for um, e vehicle, e electric vehicles. Forgive my stumbling. It is sacred because it is the handiwork of the divine. It is sacred because it is home for other living beings. So when we are exploring what we mean by healing the land, we're, we have to look at the land as our sacred home. <clears throat> the next movement that I want to get to is to honor the sacred. This is runoff from uh, mining, contaminating a river. Um, when we look at these pictures, we are bearing witness. They are grievous, they are painful. To see that sort of violence enacted on the sacred, to see that sort of violence enacted on home is painful. It's personally, it's even more painful for me because I recognize that my life is implicated and predicated on this violence. And yet, as a spiritual being, I am called to wrestle with those two seemingly really, really opposite poles, right? To honor the sacred and to live the sort of modern lives that we have. So to, we, we are called to seek the sacred, honor the sacred, and that's the spirituality and justice components of our sort of um, three-pronged approach to uh, our relationship to the earth. So I want to spend a minute here to talk about what honoring the sacred might look like. 
um, for me personally, if it feels like grief, um, it is disillusionment, it is lament, it is anger, um, it is guilt, um, there's some shame and there's some fear there as well. And yet I feel that we are called to wrestle with the untenable, to wrestle with the unanswerable. At this moment, it seems unanswerable. We are doing sacred work. So not one aspect is enough. Um, if we are seeking right relationship with our sacred earth, we seek the sacred, we honor the sacred. And that's sort of the, the spiritual paradigm to ground ourselves in. The justice work without honoring the sacred, to me, um, I don't know how to say it. It feels like if we're just um, in the pursuit of changing laws and addressing legal things, then we're not getting to the underlying um, desecration. The best example I can think of is how there are laws in place, supposedly, to, to protect brown and black people, and yet what's manifest in our society is not the equity and the embrace of pluralism that we hope that those laws would, would um, enact for us, right? And so we need both the spiritual component to sort of gird our work and gird our justice work. I gotta tell you, I'm feeling really awkward because I can't tell what y'all are thinking here. And if you have questions, um, and if this is resonating, because you know, in a, in, when you're live with people, you can kind of get a vibe and my computer's not giving me any vibe. Um, so let me just pause there for a minute before we move on. By the way, these beautiful uh, pictures, not the desecration pictures, but the garden pictures were taken by Jeremy. So um, props to Jeremy on these pictures. So we seek the sacred, we honor the sacred, and we reconsecrate the sacred. I took this picture. Um, so how on earth do we reconsecrate the sacred? How do we more precisely reimagine relationship with our sacred home and its inhabitants? So I think I'm going to share a video with you now that will get to what reconsecrating the sacred looks like far better than me talking can. Sister of ice and snow, I'm coming to you from the land of my ancestors, from atolls, sunken volcanoes, undersea descent of sleeping giants. Sister of ocean and sand, I welcome you to the land of my ancestors to the land where they sacrificed their lives to make mine possible, to the land of survivors. I'm coming to you from the land my ancestors chose, Ailankainan, Marshall Islands, a country more sea than land. I welcome you to Kadashitnunan, Greenland, the biggest island on earth. With me, I bring these shells that I picked from the shores of Beginni Atoll and Runit Dome. In my hand, I hold these rocks picked from the shores of Nuuk, the foundation of the land I call my home. With these shells, I bring with me a story of long ago, two sisters frozen in time on the island of Buyai, one magically turned to stone, the other who chose that life to be rooted by her sister's side. To this day, the two sisters can be seen by the edge of the reef, a lesson in permanence. With these rocks, I bring a story told countless times, a story about Sisuma Amna, mother of the sea, who lives in a cave at the bottom of the ocean. This is a story about the guardian of the sea. She sees the greed in our hearts, the disrespect in our eyes, every whale, every stream, every iceberg are her children. When we disrespect them, she gives us what we deserve, a lesson in respect. Do we deserve the melting ice, 
the hungry polar bears coming to our islands, or the colossal icebergs hitting these waters with rage. From one island to another, I ask for solutions. From one island to another, I ask for your problems. Let me show you the tide, coming for us faster than we'd like to admit. Let me show you airports, underwater, bulldozed reefs, blasted sands, and plans to build new atolls, forcing land from an ancient rising sea, forcing us to imagine turning ourselves to stone. Can you see a glacier's grown the weight of the world's heat? I wait for you, here on the land of my ancestors, heart heavy with a continuous thirst for solutions. As I watch this land change while the world remains silent. Sister of ice and snow, I come to you now in grief. Mourning landscapes that are always forced to change. First, through wars inflicted on us. Then, through nuclear waste dumped in our waters. On our ice. And now, this. Sister of ocean and sand, I offer you these rocks, the foundation of my home. May the same unshakable foundation connect us, make us stronger than these colonizing monsters that still to this day devour our lives. The very same beasts that now decide who should live, who should die. Sister of ice and snow, I offer you these shells and the story of the two sisters as testament, as declaration that despite what we are told, we will not leave. We will choose stone. We will choose to be rooted to this reef forever. We ask for solutions. From these islands, we ask, we demand that the world see beyond ACs, SUVs, their pre-packaged convenience, their oil slick dreams. Beyond the belief that tomorrow will never happen, that this is merely an inconvenient truth. Let me bring my home to yours. Let's watch as Miami, New York, Shanghai, Amsterdam, London, Rio de Janeiro, and Osaka try to breathe underwater. You think you have decades before your home falls beneath tides? We have years, we have months before you sacrifice us again, before you watch from your TV screens and computer screens to see if we will still be breathing while you do nothing. My sister, I offer you these rocks as a reminder that our lives matter more than their power. That life in all forms demands the same respect we all give to money. That these issues will affect each and every one of us. None of us is immune. And that each and every one of us has to decide if we will rise. Let's just take a moment and let that sink in. Anybody want to, or I'd love to hear your reactions, thoughts. What stood out for you? Sorry, I could just about <laughs> oh. my neighborhood. And I feel like they're always building and building and building new buildings and commercial buildings. And there, so now there's a lot of animals in my area, like coyotes. And I saw like a big hawk the other day or a falcon one day. And I live in the city, in Lenexa, in the city. so. It's crazy that all these animals are coming in and coyotes and I have a dove in a tree right now that's nesting in my backyard. So it just makes me think about just in this area and I know it's so much larger, but it just made me connect to that. All the things that are going on to destroy the land. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very emotional. Um, I've just been thinking a lot about um, 
living in like a settler colonial state and like uh particularly as a white person like how i participate in that obviously um and just that like there's so much to learn from native people who have lived on their land or for some people who have no longer have access to their land have so much knowledge of it and have a way to relate to this land that we live on in a way that um, is antithetical to a settler, settler colonial state in the way that if you know we're to survive we need to totally like switch that mindset so you know i feel like i'm just restating what you're saying but i uh yeah it just like that's like what really struck out to me is that now like is a time to to not only like listen but to like go into ourselves and see how can we like daily bring like ceremony and sacredness into our lives and into the way that we um think about the land so thank you thank you for that um anyone else want to share I will say the line that stuck out to me the most towards the end of the of the clip was our life demands the same respect we give to money and we are seeing that in the response of our country to this pandemic with reopening um and I know everyone has different beliefs about that but I think in general the way that um our like what what has our country's response conveyed about um, the people and our essential workers and who we care about and who gets um, care before others and it, it just makes me kind of spiral in my thought of like yeah we're doing that to the to our land as well mm -hmm. and what we do to our land we do to each other if we see ourselves as interconnected beings so that just made me think about that beautifully said yeah one of the things that struck me was they both share the origination myths or origination spiritual stories of their particular home place. Um, and so when I think about what we're tasked with doing in terms of healing the land and our relationship with our sacred earth, there's something about that that to me implies getting to know it, right? Like there's an intimacy that's missing in our relationship with the land. And that's underscored by the fact that they bring to each other gifts, that are from their homes, their sacred, their earth, their land, their homes. So, the, and, and what's beautiful about that is that there were different types of gifts. So there were shells and there were rocks, but they were from the earth. They were from their homes, which are at risk. Another piece of what I really valued about what they did um, in their video was that they reconsecrated or they reconsecrate the sacred by tying their fates to each other. I don't know if you heard it. Um, they said, give me your problems. So globally, our fates are intertwined, but they were intentional about that. So that has, um, to me, they become each other's keepers. So now we're at the well what are we supposed to do with all this stage of our time together what is the practical manifestation of this spirituality justice earth care approached from three movements of seek the sacred honor the sacred and reconsecrate the sacred so when i talk about these things please understand that this is not linear consider spirituality justice and earth care as um three components that you are juggling, right? We need all three of them. They build on each other, they interact and inform one another. If we were just focused on earth care without the spirituality and justice components, then we will make the exact same mistakes and destroy the exact same or different populations in our approach, right? That's why I showed you the mining of the cobalt and the lithium and the sand. Earth care without spirituality, without justice doesn't stand. Spirituality that's not manifest in justice and earth care or home care is 
I mean, it's, it's hollow, right? It's just for itself. But if you need concrete steps, remember this. Everything comes from someplace, home, and goes someplace, home, impacting kin, and, sorry, I can't read what I wrote here, impacting kin and homes and cost kin and homes along the route. The what and where that equal home are sacred. So if that wasn't enough, if you need something more concrete, I'm, I'm talking to you as though you are already engaged in some sort of um, healing the earth, earth care work. I want you to consider, does it contain, does it embrace spirituality, justice? Does it juggle all three? Does it seek, honor, and reconsecrate the sacred? Like um, Ellen said, we are called to a different relationship here with our sacred home. And so I offer these as the things that I do. Um, and I mean them to be descriptive, not at all prescriptive. What the, the women in the video shared what was specific to their homes. I'm sharing with you what I know to do. So, and I can talk about any of these things. I could geek out on each one of these things for as long as we had time for because I love composting. I love gardening. I love bartering. I love borrowing. I love giving, loaning, asking. I love doing research. Um, I don't like to buy things, but if I buy, I'm always trying to buy used first. And the one thing that I am trying to work on is number seven, which is how do we create just, equitable, sustainable systems? Because all those things create community, and yet we need community like on a bigger scale, right, with the entire world in some way. So I share my compost bin with three neighbors. So this is my home. My home is a sacred place, a temple that I tend with the utmost love and care. On one side, you'll see natives and pollinators. And last night, there was a hummingbird just having a good time in, the, in part of my front yard. And then on the other side, I've got veggies. And I got to tell you, nothing creates community like gardening, particularly in your front yard. Like people come by, somebody's baby was climbing into my garden beds, eating stuff out of it last night, which was also wonderful. Half, actually, almost, I have bought none of the flowers on the native side. Those are all given to me by friends, um, by my former workplace. Um, and you know, I buy, my veggies and seeds are from Kansas City Community Garden and from a local farmer, Stony Crest. So community is key to whatever it is that we want to change in the world. Um, and I also want to point out, if you'll see in the picture, the red dress on the rake, I have that there. It's not a scarecrow. Um, it is a reminder to me. It is a seed to me to always remember the missing and murdered indigenous women that is a pandemic at all the extraction sites. So I don't know how to live with all the things that I live with that are based on the extractive capitalist world that we have. And yet I am responsible to remember the um, collateral damage in the form of people and other beings. So if you don't know about missing and murdered indigenous women, please take the opportunity to look that up. So that's there for me. That's a seed I planted in my garden, that dress hanging there so that I can remind myself and to always be on some level contemplating how can I change the system that supports my life that is also destroying our lives. Um, and lastly, last slide. If there's any big takeaway is that we are each other's keepers. So let's expand our idea of other to include all living beings. This is not meant to overwhelm you. It, it is meant instead to invite you into greater, deeper, broader kinship. All these beings share our sacred home with us. So um, that requires us to become intimate and familiar 
with all the beings we share our space with. That includes the squirrels and the rabbits that dig up the stuff I plant. They have a right to this too. And then I want us to consider too, um, so on the micro level, you took notes on somebody else's experience of home. I invite you to add to the notes your reflections of tonight and also what steps you take and um, to, to, do, to, care, to take care of your sacred home. What do you do? What do you want to do? And I invite you to put them in an envelope and mail it to the person that you were in a chat room with um, for a couple reasons. We are each other's keepers. So I want you to be connected to this person that you just met in a chat room. Um, by the way, the, the women in the poem um, hadn't met until they met to film the video. They wrote their poems separately in their own homes. And the first time they met was when they filmed this. So I take that as inspiration for us. Um, they, in their meeting, they chose an intention to be each other's keepers. And that's what I hope for us, that we will be each other's keepers. Um, and I also want you to mail it because, you know, it's my small but intentional way of supporting the postal, um, our postal service. Um, what else? So, and again, it's also, I want you to share ideas with one another because like I said, what we do is deeply personal in how we relate to our sacred earth. It's not prescriptive. It, is, it needs to be descriptive. If you live in an apartment and you don't have access to a lawn like I do, if you don't have access to seeds or all the things that I have access to, you can't do the things that I do, but you can do other things, right? And so all of that counts because in healthy ecosystems, we have a variety of species all doing their thing. So I would hope that, and, and all, all of us together create the sacredness of home, right? So that's my hope and intention with our, ta our time together tonight that we see that it is together in our uniqueness and in our honoring of each other's homes that we can, we can um, learn to relate to our sacred home in a honoring way. Um, what else do I wanna say? Yeah, I think that's it. Are there questions, comments? Um, so uh, you, like, I don't know, we're on the same wavelength because that's one thing I was just thinking about is how everyone kind of serves like a different role. Mm. And I guess I just feel like it would be helpful. Um, well, I'll give you two questions. You can pick one. I have two in my mind. Uh, how did you develop your relationship with the land and also how do you hold yourself accountable and not use all of your knowledge as a stick to beat yourself with? Damn, those are both really good. Um, um, so relationship with the land, I think I've always found inspiration and God um, outside. Um, so that was the first start, right? Like, so that was the first thing for me. And then when um, a neighbor moved in like 12, 13 years ago, she knew how to grow food and I didn't know how to grow food. And then I had this trench dug up in my front yard and I was like, I don't want lawn, let's put in a garden. So that's how I learned to garden. And so, and then when I started to grow food, I realized that, oh, there are seasons and regions where stuff grows, right? Like it doesn't just all magically appear at the store, which my entire life till, you know, I'm really embarrassed to say how late, I just didn't know where food came from, right? And so that got me thinking about re uh, region and season. And then when I had children, I wanted them to be outside all the time because um, I'm one of those, I don't want kids on technology. I want them to be active. I want them to be moving. I want them to be comfortable in dirt because for me, it was very um, like, that was just my happy place. I didn't know that until I became an adult. Um, and, and then when I worked, I worked at a job where we took care of green infrastructure sites and we started, we had to like, you're gonna hate this, Ellen. We had to like dig up plants that were considered weeds. But then I learned that weeds, all these things were medicinal. And then it just, it was like so weird to me. Like, so I'd go to the store and I'd buy food that was like 
like, why am I buying oranges in from South Africa in the, in the winter? Like surely if the creator, if you believe in, you know, that, that all of this was created, um, with, and has abundance embedded in it, then surely food and medicine grew here too. Like it does not make sense that I have to import stuff from everywhere. So like, so, so that's kind of one trajectory. And another trajectory is just recognizing the supremacy that's underneath all of this, right? And not, not in necessarily intentional supremacy. Yeah, it is intentional. I mean, when you think about settlers coming here and then determining that um, certain things were food and certain things were not food, where the indigenous peoples um, received all of it as food, as medicine, as blessing, as, as ceremonial, uh, and had ceremonial uses for it too, like it was all integrated. So, so then, so it became a matter of like, oh my gosh, there's some things here that I need to, um, to, to like, there, it was just layers, right? And then when I take my kids picking, uh, we would always go blueberry, blackberry, raspberry picking, I'm not black, raspberry, you know, all the berries. Um, I would be picking these berries and I think it's incomprehensible that there are waist high um, stacks of these things in the store year round. You know, and then, so then there's the justice piece of it, like, and it's so cheap and it's available all the time. That means someone's getting, you know, jacked on some level, right? Like, it does not make sense for food to be this cheap and available all the time, everywhere, and there's not a farm in sight. So that was kind of part of it. How do I not beat myself up with it? I mean, I, I, you know, I just come to a place where I, um, I just, we can't be puritanical about it. Like we're just part of systems and, and we do what we can. Um, and I understand too, that underneath all my machinations as a human, there's spiritual energy. There is a force underneath here that operates. And my job as a spiritual building is to drop down into that and be a conduit for that in a way that my, my striving as a, as a, person can't quite get to as an individual can't get to right i mean i don't know if that helps but there's just if we believe in the goodness of you know whatever you want to call it spirit or whatever then it is guiding us right and the, the whatever i do i mean we're all part of systems that's the thing right like i can't my personal environmental piety is nothing right because if i'm not changing systems then then what's the point? And so it's like, how do I focus on changing the systems rather than making sure that, you know, I myself am personally pure? Like that, that's a form of violence. Does that help answer it? Hi, this is Stephanie. Um, this is my first time here with the group and um, thank you um, for these teachings. Um, <laughs> and, um, I guess, I don't know if I really have a full question, but what um, practices do you have, um, spiritual or um, practices that you use when acknowledging the land, when acknowledging, what gives you strength at this, at this juncture, especially right now, um, in honoring what is here right now in Kansas City in this moment? That makes sense. That's a really good question. And what gives me strength right here, right now? Well, come over and sit on my porch with me. And if you drink beer, I'll offer you a beer. And we'll sit and we'll smell the peonies and we'll watch the hummingbirds. And we'll put some seeds in the soil and then come back. Um, and then we'll share what they produce. Um, I feel, I mean, I, that's part of what does it for me. Um, it's, it's also, I mean, I'm, I'm from what's considered a developing or third world country. And so what is happening in the global South is always um, pressing on me. And so, I don't feel like I have the luxury to get um, down. I mean, if people in the global South 
are murdered for trying to protect their homes, who am I to be, you know, to, to feel dejected? What I do is, I mean, I, I, I have said this in, in previous talks, that I feel like grief and lament is a really untapped resource here. I mean, so to give you an example, this morning I was listening to uh, Friday's edition of Democracy Now! and they were talking about just the crisis that India is in because of the, I mean, India has been in, pan, in crisis mode for a while, but the pandemic is really highlighting that. And they shared a story about um, a 12-year-old girl who had traveled with a group of people um, to earn some money, and then they were traveling back on foot. She got separated from the people, um, and she walked 140 kilometers in three days, and then dropped dead from exhaustion um, 60 kilometers from home. Um, I have a 12-year-old daughter. There is a very thin, thin illusion of separateness between that, that child and my own child. And so that grieves me, and that is heavy. And yet, as a spiritual being, it is, it is our burden to, to hold that, right? Like, I didn't cause the girl's death, but I am, but it's my job to bear witness, right? So, I, but you're asking specifically for Kansas City. I, you know, I, I keep it really local. I have a really great neighborhood. I have amazing neighbors. We do things for each other. Like I mowed my neighbor's yard last night and they made me salmon and rice and salad and brought over a bottle of wine. Like what? You know, like just, I, I am just blessed. And it, I mean, relationship is key, right? Like if we do things for others and then, you know, give, give and receive and just be grateful, right? Hi, Mary, I have a question. Um, so I was just wondering, like, how do you, especially like through your means of spirituality, get other people like your neighbors and stuff motivated right now? Like, I know that like, it's really difficult to inspire a lot of people given everything that's happening right now. Um, but like this talk was really inspiring for me and I'm sure that like, you've given, like you've inspired a lot of people in your community too. So I'm just wondering like, what are your tips for doing that right now? I can't find you, who are you? She is not showing herself. Oh, okay, all right, well, hello. Um, I don't know, I mean, I think we just have real conversations, right? Like we just, I just tell them like, I, this is heavy. Like um, there's someone here that's from um, my little, my neighborhood group. and we just talk, we just share like where we are, like this is scary, this is difficult, this is painful. Um, and we, we just kind of hold space for one another. Um, I don't know if that's motivating, but I think it gives us breathing space when it feels like it's overwhelming and there is no um, way out, when it feels like there's no light. Holding each other in the darkness seems to, to um, allow light to wiggle in, if that makes any sense. Um, I used to be really um, pious and preachy and judgmental when it came to environmental stuff. Um, and then, and then, um, and I just didn't like who I was of that. And so I just, I don't think that that's useful. Like my neighbor across the street or my, old, you know, he's, he's one of those lawn mowing people <laughs> and he's got a blower and, you know, he mows, you know, and he's got the edger and he's watering and, you know, I used to, and I have my little wheel mower and I feel really pious about it. Um, but he's a really good neighbor. And one time I was trying to cut a branch and he scrambled up there with his chainsaw and cut it for me. Now here I am with my little tool going like this for like an hour. And he's like, can I just do that for you? And like, he's got one of those snow blower things. And so he'll just like do the sidewalk from end to, to one end of the block to the other for people. Like, you know, I could rail about how shitty snowblowers are and edgers and all this stuff, but I mean, I'd be missing out on connection and I'd be missing out on the opportunity. I don't know. You know what I mean? To just, and that, that just seems like it's more important, if that makes any sense. Did that answer the question? Because sometimes I feel like I get sort of, the, the, the question launches a thought and I hope it's, it, it responds. If it's not, say no, answer my question.
So Mary, I have a question. Yeah. Most of us were not raised in a spiritual tradition that connects to the earth, yeah. right? We don't have things we do at certain seasons or phases of the moon or times of the day or whatever, harvest time and so on. So what kinds of things, other than what you've shown in your glorious garden, what else might you suggest for people to do to kind of reconnect, like literally, what things can people do to see that and connect to that sacredness? Well, they should look up the resilient activist, that's for sure. Um, yeah, um, that's a, the, the resilient activist is a wonderful resource for doing that physical um, connection. Um, that, I mean, that visceral connection. So um, I grew up indoors and I did not have that connection. I think reading, um, reading for me helped me seek the outside world because I read poets and writers that found themselves in their spiritual happy place in the outside world. So for me, reading is one way to get there. Um, some of you are familiar with the book Braiding Sweetgrass, which is like rocking my world right now. I mean, that's a beautiful um, testimony to the kind of relationship and alignment we can have um, with the world. Um, I'm trying to think. Jo Joy Harjo. Thank you, Maddie, for reading her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because like all spiritual traditions will mention some sort of connection to creation but it's not necessarily manifest. Like I grew up inside in a church and it was not all connected at all to the cathedral that is the living world, right? Um, but that's a really good question, Sammy. I have to think on that. Oh, looking at the stars for some is an opportunity. <laughs> I was getting keys over here. Um, you know, looking at the constellations, recognizing that we are part of something much bigger than just our lives. Um, anybody else have answers to that? It doesn't have to be just me here. You all come to this with your own store of knowledge and experience and wealth of wisdom. Thanks, Mary. If anyone has any further thoughts or reflections they want to share, definitely share them in the chat. I do want to offer up some space to thank Mary at this time. So if we can all again, wave our hands in the air. Thank you. We have so much gratitude for you. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I always um, appreciate your wisdom and your transparency um, in sharing. Yeah, sharing your process and also sharing just your beautiful words. So thank you, thank you thank very you. much.